Good afternoon, good morning, or good evening, and welcome to the American Age podcast. My name is C. Travis Webb, editor of the American Age, and I'm speaking to you from Southern California. Hey, 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 hey. Uh, I'm Seth Rodney. I almost forgot who I was for a second there, uh, but I'm present and accounted for in the South Bronx. I'm an editor at Hyperallergic and part-time faculty at Parsons in the New School. And I am Stephen G. Fullwood, co-founder of the Nomadic Archivist Project. And I always wait for Seth to announce himself. But next time, I think I'll just jump in and announce Amen. Hallelujah. (laughs) (laughs) And this is to remind our listeners that we practice a form of what we like to call intellectual intimacy, which is giving each other the space and time to figure out things out loud with one another. Um, So we're continuing uh, our conversation on Michael Jackson. Uh, Last week was our first conversation, kind of just laying the groundwork and um, some personal details uh, Seth shared with us. Uh, So if you haven't uh, listened to that podcast, you should check it out. Um, And we had all agreed that we do a little bit more just kind of familiarizing ourselves with kind of the state of affairs with uh, sort of uh, the allegations surrounding Michael Jackson um, and, you know, kind of think through, uh, watch Leaving Leaving Neverland, um, Mm -hmm. and then we'll we'll just kind of take the conversation from there. So... Steven, Seth, um, anything on your mind immediately to jump into as far as where we left off next week or what, what, where we want to segue into uh, talking about it this week? Well, you sent a, um, a Griot article oh, that I think maybe we yeah. should start with because I think it's always a good idea to, to, to go against your feelings about something to see what the other argument is. And I think I mentioned this in the uh, previous podcast that my YouTube has been loaded up with people who are in defense of Michael Jackson. And it mm. started just as the, the uh, Leaving Neverland premiered at Sundance. So I was happy mm. to get that article um, and thinking about it. So I was wondering, um, I had some thoughts about it. So the, um, the, the journalist who claims that James Safechuck's uh, abuse claims are, can be discredited because of a date because of one the, aspect of them, one aspect. I know. I was going to get to that. Right. Oh, okay, sorry, that. sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, sorry. I just okay, wanted sorry. to kind of set people up. Um, and um, that, <laughs> sorry for ruining that for you. No worries. <laughs> was it a merry-go-round or what was it called? It, the, the, Mar- the train station. Train, the train station, station. station. Yeah. wasn't yeah. built at the time he claims he was abused. That it happened. Mm. That the train station was built after. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so, right. yeah. So what's interesting to me and what I got out of the article and a few other um, things I've been listening to before this podcast was that the, the, larger, the largest issue with the documentary that most people seem to have that it only um, focuses on the testimony or the accusations of these two and that journalism wasn't served by doing that. So I wanted to mm-hmm. kind of begin the conversation. How do we, what are your thoughts about Leaving Neverland, both of you have seen it, and the structure of it, rather than the content. But is it, isn't it fair for journalists to say, well, where's the evidence or what's the other part of this? Yeah. Seth, yeah. You jump in? Yeah. Uh, I can address that. I mm-hmm. read uh, a piece that you had sent around, Stephen, by, written by Kierna Mayo yes. in Afropunk, mm-hmm. in the Afropunk site. Uh, pieces titled He's Out of My Life, Letting Go of Michael Jackson. And she talks about people 
coming back at her, accusing her of, or accusing the film of not being journalistically uh, rigorous enough mm-hmm. or uh, presenting enough evidence. And she says there's reams of evidence. And I agree with her. Mm-hmm. I think that that, let me make the point and then, and then talk about a caveat. Okay. We had talked about this in the last episode, or maybe we had had a conversation after the episode was ended, after the mm-hmm. broadcast was over. I remember talking to you both about being shocked by the reams and reams of faxes mm-hmm. sent by Michael Jackson to Robson. It was Wade he sent those to. That in and of itself... That well, that and having six to seven hour phone calls with the boy every day or every other day for a while is just weird and inappropriate and a signal of some kind of relationship that a grown ass man should not have with a child that is not his own. Some might think um, of that as circumstantial. Right. But my point being there's mm-hmm. reams and reams of evidence besides the personal testimony. In mm-hmm. fact, one of the things that Mayo uh, points to is, as a particularly grueling moment in the film is when Safe Chef brings out the rings that the Cartier rings that right. he mm-hmm. uh, that were bought for him allegedly by Michael Jackson. Altogether, I think the the circumstantial evidence leads up to something. I think that we also have to be careful with the u- use of the word circumstantial. I think mm-hmm. you're absolutely mm-hmm. right in using it, Stephen. You're absolutely right. But legal cases are made from a preponderance of circumstantial evidence, mm-hmm. right? Like it's not just that the evidence is circumstantial and therefore it is not good enough, uh, sterling enough to convict someone of a crime. That's a kind it of is the the counter right right mm-hmm. right but it is the 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 totality of that evidence plus the personal testimony mm-hmm. that makes a case convincing now mm-hmm. the caveat is that yes safe chuck certainly got the date wrong or um mm-hmm. either either he's mistaken about that uh purposefully or unintentionally okay um but I want to say that with cases like this, typically 20 years after the fact, how many years after the fact, it's very difficult for people to get dates right because mm-hmm. your seven-year-old your seven year old self, your 10-year-old self, your five-year-old yes. self doesn't have the kind of sense of time that your 30-year-old self has. Is that a problem so, of the filmmaker to not have researched them to some degree? So Yes. Go so ahead, to, Travis. To, 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 I was going to say, so I, I actually I really appreciate you mentioning the circumstantial evidence. I was actually going to say something similar. I mean, this is mm-hmm. exactly, I mean, this is what evidence is. It's to establish beyond a reasonable doubt what the circumstances were because there are always multiple interpretations of an event. Mm, precisely. Um, and the only, I'm I'm with everything that, that Seth just said. The only, the only piece of, I, I find the omission a little bit more suspicious than that because of the age. So mm-hmm. it, the difference is between he's saying the abuse ended at 14 versus 16. So to me, <laughs> though, that that doesn't I mean, I remember, you know, I am awful with dates. I am mm-hmm. just awful. My just my brain doesn't work that way. We've kind of talked about that in previous podcasts. I tend to have mm-hmm. an episodic memory. But 
Mm-hmm. That age, being able to know that something happened to me when I was a freshman in high school versus the time I could drive, I feel like those are pretty solid markers in California. Agreed. Um, uh, that mm. that you would you'd be able to to parse out. But to me, what that reads as is someone that is, and this is the same. Per- now, obviously, I'm psychologizing at this point. This is the same one who has not been able to forgive his mother for. Uh, for her complicity in what happened. Mm. Um, So to me, this also reads as someone that is having a difficult time with a sense of responsibility around Mm. what was going on. Mm. It's really hard to, to, and I'm not saying that it's not deserved. Mm -hmm. I'm saying just how we work psychologically. It's hard to disavow any responsibility for something that you were doing at 16. Mm. It is much mm. easier to do at 14. Again, I'm I'm not saying that this person was not victimized. Yes, slam dunk, absolutely. I believe that he was. I mean, I, I found that I found his narrative compelling. Not just his, but I started reading around the case mm-hmm. that was brought uh, against Michael um, in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, as, as far as I'm concerned, he sounds pretty guilty, and um, you know, I don't know what a jury would have found. Uh, but mm-hmm. I I don't think that that. To let me steer it back to what Stephen had said, so so that you guys can jump in. Um, yeah, I do think that's the fault of the filmmaker. Mm. Like you should, okay. you definitely should have been on that. Like you, that it, that is definitely something he should have known mm. and and pushed his subject on because it only undermines his, the point of his the whole the goal of his film. Absolute. He yeah. has now undermined mm-hmm. by not adhering to kind of standard journalistic or documentarian standards so yeah i think those i think those are generally documentarian standards i mean i i right, 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 I, right. I have i deal with similar issues as an editor at mm-hmm. hyperallergic mm-hmm. there have been pieces that people have published through us that i've edited that required a particular particularly attentive eye because the piece was going to be and was subjected to a lot of public scrutiny. Okay. When I've edited those pieces and I've had conversations with my boss, Harag, about this, he and I have talked about how important it is that I get this right, that I ch- carefully check everything, mm-hmm. and that I, I flag up discrepancies. I mean, I, this is my tendency anyway, and I was... I was born anal retentive, so my my mm-hmm. my... my, my typical response to a piece of writing is to say, well, why, why is this comma here? Like, why, why, mm-hmm. why, why are you setting up a, a speaker that is uh, not believable? Why, uh, mm-hmm. why, why, why have this paragraph at the end that you don't seem, it doesn't seem to propel the piece. Mm-hmm. But especially in a case like this, with a film like this, mm-hmm. that is your due diligence as a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've watched him on several shows. Uh, Dan Reed, I think is. I've that watched. Right to yeah, me. I've watched him on several morning shows, and it seems like he—that's the question he gets the most. <laughs> mm-hmm. The question of did you? Why didn't you speak with other people? Did you do any other? He says this was their story, and I wanted them to be documentary. And I feel like you guys that more details will likely come out. You know, somebody mm-hmm. with a you know, who's been following the case or people following this case forever from 93 mm-hmm. on 
And so they are ready with, this is incorrect. This is incorrect. Why is he saying this? Why is he saying that? And Mm -hmm. what I came up with towards the end of like just watching all this stuff was that there's probably truth everywhere. Do you know, it's not just that they were totally correct and that he, who knows? Because when, when it's almost like the Mueller report and what Barr did, you know, William Barr, what he did was he, this four page memo that he claims is a summary. It's not a summary. (laughs) Right. 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 (laughs) That he's undermining and um, poisoning public opinion about what the Mueller report is actually about. So I Mm. feel like this documentary in a sense does the same thing. It's like, it puts it out there and it's very compelling, extremely compelling. And I feel that the guys are telling the truth, but the, but it will, people who have details and come with receipts are going to undermine what this guy's trying to get across. And it's going to affect both of their cases, which were both dismissed and that they're, I guess they're trying them again, you know, suing Jackson's estate. So it undermines it. So you don't want to put something out there that, that, that um, vulnerable. Well, I like the analogy. I just want to follow up on it a, a little bit. So what mm-hmm. you're saying is when you say it, when it undermines it, you're saying that in some ways their case. the film, the film is, mm-hmm. a, is a bad summary of their experiences. Which it's a troubling is, is, summary. Right. Fair enough. Fair mm-hmm. enough. Right. Yeah. It's a conflicted. Yeah, I, okay. Yeah. I, I, felt, uh, for, I felt that now every, obviously, every craft uh, involves manipulation, right? You're trying to, mm-hmm. I, you're trying to invoke emotions in your That's viewer. But I felt that it wore it a little too heavily on its sleeve at times. I don't know if you guys, I started mm-hmm. thinking, because we were doing it for the podcast, I was looking at it more critically. Mm-hmm. Um, usually when descriptions of abuse were happening, he would use this... Uh, above the, the horse drone, uh, horizon the shot. yes well yeah. so, so oh, the, that that was used too but also like on the subject the camera was above horizontal so the angle was looking down mm-hmm. which uh, which you know communicates a sense of powerlessness and so right. you were mm-hmm. clearly you're adding weight to the victim's tail right. and and mm-hmm. it's it just okay fine I, I i get that i understand that 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 is part of what he was trying to do he believes these people's story he believes that there was an injustice happening and he's trying to engage with that i right. i mm-hmm. respect that mission uh m- more so because i think he you know it sounds like uh, that uh that these uh, men and other mm-hmm. other boys were abused mm-hmm. uh, i'm sorry the boys were abused and these men are talking about the abuse um yes the drone shots like i really mm-hmm. it, it it had this sort of like there's a predator lurking out oh, there yeah. Oh, yeah. feel mm-hmm. and Mm-hmm. And the constant talk, like up uh, from the mothers about how alone and isolated, mm-hmm. no, and the film does not really touch on because it becomes a more difficult case to prove. Even though I think it's probably again true, he was never alone. I mean, how many bodyguards worked on that estate? How many handlers? Mm-hmm. How many maids? How many mm-hmm. managers? How many? Like there is no way that Michael Jackson. Other than in the closet inside the closet was mm. alone with these boys. And there's no way that like the, 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 there was there was a systemic there was a, a systemic abuse mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. these boys that was not just Michael Jackson may have been at the, the, the locus of it. He may have been at the center, but it was aided and abetted by people who were very well paid. Yeah. I, so is your argument that there's no way for this truth not to come out? 
Yeah, so the fact he did it because there would be other witnesses. Is that what you're saying? Th- that was very generous. I don't know that I. I, I don't know my, my I don't know that my meandering couple minutes had a, had an argument. But, but thank you for that. Um, uh, I do think. I, I honestly, I think the truth has kind of come out. Like the maid talked about, like the yeah. pornography that was in the. I mean, this was only mentioned briefly in the documentary, mm-hmm. and I think again. Because he says, like, well, what do they add to the story for me to put the maid on camera? Well, I think it's more a choice if he puts the maid on camera, he's got to start putting other people on camera. Absolutely. So I think think it was more of like, I I want to just put the victims front and center and the fan or the mothers too, which that's an, I don't, it's a side discussion for another. I, I think that the movie also partakes in, is complicit in this vilification of women. Like, Are you kidding me? Yeah. I, I mean, so want to bring it up, and yeah. I'm not mm-hmm. saying I'm not saying that the mothers are not guilty. I I do blame them, but where were the fathers? Like during any of this sort of like where where were they in the room? But we talked about this before, Trav. People have a reasonable expectation that if you're going with an adult, that that adult's not going to attack your kid. <laughs> not for five days in a row. No way. No way. I, I just well, definitely I, as a stranger. I, definitely a stranger. I, I, Absolutely. I hear what you're saying. Mm-hmm. I hear what you're saying. But uh, as as a parent, you were a parent too. I mean, you still are a parent, but I mean, to a child. You're, you're, your your yeah. son's grown, right? Yeah, true. So, mm-hmm. but 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 no, I, I know that 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 is not something I would be comfortable with, and I actually am uncomfortable when we leave Dean with mm-hmm. sort of like who is our regular babysitter. We did a background check on her, like through the Department of Justice. Like I I absolutely. And, and while I understand that you can't ever guarantee safety, mm-hmm. y- you're asking do more than that they did to no, no. And to help like, ma- to make sure that your kid is reasonably safe. In all sorry. fairness, I agree with you. I just feel like that this is a new time to think about this thing. I don't think people were thinking about those things seventies, mm. eighties. I don't. I feel like the consciousness around the um, child abuse in the home, but outside of um, outside of the home, is mm. a very recent new. Thinking people, mm. I really mm. do. So I think that this mm. background check, I don't, unless you were, you know, hiring an au pair and you were super rich or something, I don't think that you're doing mm. the background checks. I think your lady down the, um, lady has a daughter down the way. Oh, she's mm. about sixteen or so. Do you think that she would babysit my kid? I don't think that mm. people are thinking of that. And then Michael, yeah, add to Michael Jackson himself, and what people, I'm just amazed at this man's power. I think this is the most dazzling look at someone who has so much power. And I think Michelle Wallace says it best in one of her essays I'm about to bring up very briefly. The essay is called Michael Jackson, Black Modernisms and the Ecstasy of Communication. Michelle Wallace is a black intellectual, very smart woman. I love Good her title. to death. I know, right? And so in, in it, she goes, she feels like Jackson's videos may be capable of playing a key role to evolving public discourses of race, sex, and class. First, Jackson is a black performer. Given his race, he has achieved an entirely unprecedented and gargantuan frame in a previously white supremacist music industry, for which he routinely objectifies, colonizes the third world and people of color. He may, in fact, be his own media hype that never tires of suggesting that he is the new Elvis or the Beatles. This was written before the King of Pop. They come up. But what I thought was really interesting is that he's the prism through which we can look at ourselves. The mothers are vilified, the fathers are absent, and they're just these two kids. <laughs> are these males and the structure of the documentary I'm so glad you brought up the documentary Seth had mentioned this before and it's something I noticed when I watched it how quiet it is when they're talking mm-hmm. sometimes 
Like they, mm. this was very deliberate. It was, it was in some ways without a critical eye, you're just drawn in, you know, and I was drawn in, you know, I must admit. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. so I want to follow up what you just quoted, Stephen, with something from one of the pieces that you had sent around to us, the other one mm-hmm. uh, of the two, which was a New York Times article by Wesley Morris mm-hmm. titled Michael Jackson Cast a Spell, Leaving Neverland Breaks It. Quote, he lived in defiance of physics and race <laughs> and gender, and we just kind of lived with that. And I think that this is part of the, mm-hmm. the documentary, too, that, a, that the filmmaker does a good job of, which is giving us a sense of the kind of physics-defying entity that okay. Michael Jackson was. There's something about him that, and I know that you both are conscientious, clear-headed human beings. I wonder what it would have been like for you to have been in the presence of a megastar like Michael Jackson who said, hey, I just want to spend the afternoon alone with um, mm. your child, your son. Um, I'm just going to take care of him. I mean, I do think that as much as the movie, the film does, the documentary does vilify the moms. I agree with that. I do think that there is something to be said for not being, particularly in the 80s, being prepared emotionally, uh, soci- socially, because we <laughs> hadn't had those conversations then, right? Being mm-hmm. prepared to have someone of his status That's stay fun. in your home. And then say to you, I, I trust you to, to, to hold me, to hold this space for us, to keep me safe. And then, of course, turn around and, and then, and then turn around and say, well, you know, you kept me safe. So let me keep your son safe with me for a while and just spend time with him. Like, I think we, you would have had, if you were in those circumstances, a difficult time negotiating, simply just saying no. I mean, but clearly it was inappropriate. And at some point the mothers did realize, like, especially when he uh, went so far as to ask, yes, ask to spend a year with the A boy. year with oh, your child. Jesus. And she said, no, uh, yeah, obviously, no, that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. I think it was hard for her. It was hard for them to tell this man no. So, so I, I mean, you, you asked a specific question. I actually had thought about this uh, a lot when I was watching it. Um, I, I don't think I would. Um, and but I think there's a pretty specific reason. You don't and think that you is, would what? Charles? I don't think I would be uh, charmed. By okay. by that status, but mm-hmm. there's a specific reason for that, and okay. and and I and I actually have kind of I've I've sort of explored this in myself as a reaction. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was younger, uh, I was very self conscious uh, about my my own social anxiety and insecurity around that social anxiety, mm-hmm. and one of the protective mechanisms that I developed a while in order in order to deal with that and sort of start to move through the world with some kind of agency was to completely like slam down my uh, overt social responses. So if I saw mm-hmm. someone, an attractive woman, or if I was in a situation in which I would have been awestruck, starstruck, or whatever, my my response to that was to deal with it with at least a veneer of stoicism. Okay. Uh, and I did that for enough years that that is now how I react to those things. I have I have a reflexive 
Uh, I mean, this happened uh, actually in a New York restaurant. Um, I was uh, went to La Grande Wee, which is you know the French restaurant that's there in Midtown somewhere. Yeah, and as you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, as, because as I think we it's, a, it's a well known. No, I think it's a well known restaurant. That's why. I mean, that's the way I brought it up. So. No, 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 no. Okay, so, I'm, so, I'm, so. I'm, only, I'm only poking fun. At you. No, no, that's fair. That's fair. Always fair. So, so, so we, we, Molly we, and I, Molly and I, were at that restaurant, and seated next to us was uh, Uma Thurman. Mm-hmm. And who some I assume to be Wall Street banker. I mean, you could just tell by the sort mm-hmm. of the suit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I looked it up later, and it was I, apparently it was her husband, or I guess they'd been married, divorced a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Uh, I looked at her when we came in, mm-hmm. and I did not look at her again the right. entire meal mm-hmm. intentionally. Right. Because I was not going to be all the other people in the room. Now, not all the other people. I think a lot of them were probably regulars because they seemed sort of unfazed by the event. But there were definitely people that came in and the attention in the room was drawn to her. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And and I, I just – I literally – I just did not look. It, right. Consciously, mm-hmm. intentionally did not do that. Mm-hmm. And now was that natural? No. Right. The natural response was be like, oh, look, that's it. I'm telling you now, like, this is a part. This is a story. I tell it part. Right. So, I mean, so clearly it has I'm aware of the social cachet of that, the proximity, mm-hmm. but the actual suspension of judgment. Absolutely not. And I would go so far as to say I feel like we should all have a similar response to someone with that much social power. I'll give you that. I think I I, 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 do, I do not think we should ever react that way to anyone's social power. But I'm sorry, go ahead. I think I would have gone with Michael Jackson. I would have given him all my children. I would have <laughs> surrendered everything to Michael Jackson. And he wasn't even my favorite star at the time. He was Prince. But I thought about I thought about what you said when I was younger. I I did something similar where I would just re- I rejected everything super popular. I was like, you guys mm. don't know. Oh, Prince was popular or Purple Rain. I was that kind of mm. kid, mm-hmm. but I was st- I was stunned by Michael Jackson's success. I grew up with Michael Jackson's music. I watched the shows, watched this. There was so much of his his music was a was not necessarily a soundtrack, but just part of our lives. I tried to turn my my siblings into the Fullwood Five. We we couldn't sing <laughs> or dance. <laughs> But you can see how that turned out. <laughs> but I remember feeling there was something about the 80s and about the accessibility of some stars like a Madonna. She looked like she could just grow up down the street. But then there was the Michael Jacksons. There were the people who had been around for so long. And I did see him moonwalk on TV at Motown 25 and was like, you know, oh, my God, this is the most amazing thing. I don't know. It, like, it was like a miracle. It really was. It was like a miracle. But the thing is, what I'm really moved by what you're saying, Travis, is this, this um, social cachet not being fooled by it or, or romanced by it or obsessed by it or lured in by it. I'm, today, I'm a little different. It's New York City. Every other person's walking down the street, and it seems it's someone who has been on a show or is popular. Right. And you kind of go, oh, okay. And then you have to go catch your train. You know, but exactly. then there are the people who do stop me, and I go, Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! This is such and such, and she just tapped me on the shoulder, asked me where the gum was. That kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Those things are they still have um, currency, and I do agree mm-hmm. with. You. I think that we should definitely, definitely not give someone who has a social cachet any more um, trust than we would a regular person or mm-hmm. a stranger. That's what mm-hmm. they are. We don't That's what know. they are. They're strangers. Yeah. But you yeah. know, here, so here's the thing. And this will tie 
tie us back into this sort of important significance of Michael Jackson as a, as a cultural and social figure. Mm-hmm. That he was one, he sort of marked a transition, or maybe for us because we are of around the same age, late 40s, early 50s. Maybe Michael Jackson marked for us that transition from a kind of, and this is perhaps putting too fine a point on it, but a kind of age of innocence to an age of almost cynicism, of, of uh, an age of, uh, oh, we realize now that people with that kind of star power are often tax cheats or mm. pedophiles mm. or just straight up weirdos. Mm. Um, we don't have, I mean, there was, this was the era before TMZ, right? This is the era before, um, but no, the national inquiry. We had Hollywood actually, and we had Hollywood no, conf- confidence. No, no, that's right. No, we that's had right. all this. Yeah. No, we, we definitely were. I think we had part of our culture. It's definitely focused on that kind of, dialectical relationship with star power right which is that we mm-hmm. worship them but we really want to tear them down and we love to see them torn down which mm-hmm. is why national Enquirer essentially made uh, a fortune uh staking out you know older stars who were getting older uh or falling off the uh falling off the radar um at the beach you know with shots of showing us their cellulite like yeah. that, Look at that that body that, Ugh. Yeah, exactly. Like, how how could you how could you do that to yourself? How could you be human? How could you do that um, to us? How could right. you do that? Yeah, right. <laughs> I do think that there's a that Michael Jackson sort of marks the moment when, generally, as in popular culture, we stopped being as worshipful as we were in previous decades, and we mm, started being more. Oh, I cannot wait to see them fall. I cannot mm. wait to see the underside of mm. this myth, of mm. this, uh, of this of story they've been weaving for us um, for a long time. I, 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 I will. I don't, well, I don't know if I if I wanted to, to go into this anecdote. Maybe it's not the right time. Um, Maybe for the next uh, episode. Yeah. Next episode. So I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say I, we kind of uh, trailed into uh, a topic that I I wanted to give a little bit more space to, and Seth called it out specifically, which is this uh, this fascination with innocence um, and this commitment to innocence as a narrative, uh, whether it be for children, mm-hmm. uh, w- w- well, in particular, I think for children, given the, the subject matter, um, and how that plays into sexuality and, and whatnot. So I, I'd mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. to maybe, maybe in the next episode, we could lead off uh, with, uh, Seth, whatever anecdote you were going to lead off with, and we could maybe kind of, uh, yeah. transition into that discussion of innocence. Oh. Yeah, that Um, sounds good. All right. Okay. Gentlemen, thanks very much for the conversation. Thanks a lot. Thank you. I'll talk to you soon. Bye.